Anyway, it's great to be here with you today. I'm Pastor Brian, one of the teaching pastors here, and uh, today we're finishing up our five-week series on spiritual warfare. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I've loved it. I'm embarrassed that we've been around as a church for 21 years, and we have never done a series on spiritual warfare. That's embarrassing to me. We actually have done a series on Jonah before, but we've never, never done a series on spiritual warfare. It's been great. For, for me, I've been learning a lot through this series. I hope you have as well. But we want to wrap this series up by talking about the full armor of God. And this morning, I was kind of in here getting ready for stuff this morning, and Julie walks in with a, with a shirt on. Maybe you saw her this morning, and it, the shirt, it caught my attention because it said, don't fight naked. And the first thing I wanted to do was buy the shirt. And I, and I didn't even realize that it was related to the armor of God. So I just thought it was a hilarious shirt. It's actually about putting on the full armor of God as a Christian. You know, throughout this series, we've been talking about the fact that, that spiritual warfare is real. It involves everyday life, but it also involves otherworldly battles. It's not just the, the occult. It's not just angels and demons and the devil, although we did talk about that last week. It's also, it's also fighting with the flesh. We talked about that in week three, that there's this inner battle that we have these, these desires, these intentions, these good intentions. I love how Paul says it in Galatians. I have these good intentions that I can't carry out. I want to do, do the right stuff, but I tend to do the wrong stuff. That's, the Bible calls that spiritual warfare. That's a battle inside of you. If you've ever had a good intention and then you struggle to carry it out, that's Spiritual warfare. And then it also we've talked about the world, how there's spiritual warfare with the world, that the world system is trying to pull us away from God and his ways. And so we've talked about, we've really framed this thing, we've talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil, but we've left for this final installment of our series, we've left this last thing where we're gonna talk about the armor of God because Paul in Ephesians Paul talks a lot about, he introduced in Ephesians 2, he introduced the world of flesh and the devil, but then at the end of his letter to the church in Ephesus, at, in Ephesians chapter 6, he gets really specific, and he helps us to visualize this Roman sol soldier who's putting on the armor of God. And so we're going to go there. If you have a Bible or Bible app, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We've got a lot to cover today because we have six elements of the armor of God that Paul is going to walk us through. But before we look at those elements, I want to make sure that you understand how he sets this whole thing up. He says in verses 11 to 13, put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So I could see Paul, he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and, and he's inspired by God. In fact, in some other, some other letters of his, he talks about little pieces of the armor of God, but this is the only place in all of his letters where he puts all of it together. So he gets this inspiration from the Holy Spirit to see this Roman soldier, we're gonna explain this today as we go, to see this Roman soldier standing there 
completely decked out in the armor of God. And what he said is that is exactly how we as Christians need to prepare for all these battles that we've been talking about because spiritual warfare is going to be ongoing. You're going to be experiencing it for the rest of your life if you're a Christian. Even if you're not a Christian, you're going to be experiencing spiritual warfare. And so let's take a look at these six elements that Paul lays out in the next few verses. And we're gonna, I wanna read this first, and then we're gonna just kind of break this down. Again, some of you, if you're note takers, it might be hard to take notes today because we're gonna be going fast. You can find all these resources online at pursuegod.org. But Paul says this, Ephesians 6, 14. Stand your ground, here we go, putting on the belt of truth. That's number one. And number two, the body armor of God's righteousness, or some translations say the breastplate of righteousness. He said, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, he says, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. and Put on, number five, salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So these six elements are the elements we're going to look at together as we wrap up this series and and talk about really how to continue to win the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So here we go. Let's go back now. Number one, he says, put on the belt of truth. And here's the point. Truth is the centerpiece of a believer's spiritual armor. Okay, here's how, here's how for those of you who don't know what a Roman soldier looked like, here's, here's where the belt fit in. The belt actually held the whole ensemble together. It wasn't actually the first thing that they would put on, but it was the thing that, that held the body armor in place. Without the belt, the bar, body armor would fall off. It was the thing that, that had a scabbard for the sword, so without the belt, there'd be, there'd be no sword. And so as Paul's talking about this, for, for whatever reason, he decides to, to list the belt first, and he says, the belt is truth. And that makes sense because if you remember, in the, if you've been a part of this series for the last several weeks, you'll remember that the battle, spiritual warfare, is not something that happens up there in the multiverse like Thor and Loki or something like that. Spiritual warfare happens right in between your ears. It happens right up here in your head. If there's anything you take away from this series, that's one, that's one for me that I'll really be taking away is that spiritual warfare happens up here, Satan is going to try to mess with your mind. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So, so Paul says, what's the most important part of the armor? Truth. Because if, Christians, if you don't have truth, you will not win the war with the world. If you don't have truth, you won't win the war with the world. Just this morning, I was watching the news. <sighs> I just can't stand politics. Can I get an amen from somebody, please? I, can't, I don't trust any politician. I'm sorry. I don't trust any. Every politician has an angle. Every politician has a slant. Some are better than others, but they're all so broken. And the reason they're so broken is because they're appealing to this they're appealing to people who don't have truth. 
They're appealing to ideology. They're appealing to ideas that, that are all about putting us first, putting this individual first, putting that guy first or this group first at the exclusion of another group. It's so important that we recognize that without truth, we will not be able to stand in this culture as we fight against the world and as we fight against our flesh because the truth is our flesh wants to be fooled. Our flesh wants to do what feels good. And so we need to make sure to stand for God and his truth. Scripture says this, Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Same author, Paul wrote Romans, same guy who wrote Ephesians. He said, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's interesting, this commandment is a little bit passive. It's not, it's not a, a really, it's not a commandment where we have complete control. What he says is, let God transform you. Don't try to transform yourself. Let God transform you, but how does he do it? He does it by changing the way you think. There it is again. It's right up there in your head. So parents, this is why it's so important for us to speak truth to our kids and teach our kids to discern truth from lies. It's important for, not just for, for us to know the truth, but it's important for us to share the truth with kids as well. So the belt of truth is the first piece of the battle armor. Number two, the body armor of God's righteousness. In the NIV, it says, it says the breastplate of God's righteousness, but I actually like body armor better. It's kind of a cooler, cooler term. I like that, like body armor. And you need to know the body armor, it wasn't just like, like, a, like a catcher's catcher's gear just over the chest. It went from the neck down almost to the knees. That was the body armor. It was the biggest piece of protection. And, and I think it's interesting that he calls it righteousness. And so here's the point. A lifestyle of righteousness gives Satan no targets to exploit. If we can live a righteous life, then we're not going to give Satan targets to exploit in our lives. And I want to show you where this probably comes from. I, I think Paul is getting this in part from the Old Testament. Isaiah 59 talks about righteousness as body armor. That's the first place in scripture that it ever talks about this. And it's interesting because the prophet is thinking about the nation of Israel at the time and the nation of Israel was in a bad way and the nation of Israel didn't care about justice. The, 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 the country was kind of going to pot a little bit. Does that sound a little familiar? And he says this. He says, he was amazed, God. God was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. And so what did God do? He himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor. Now listen to what's, go what's going on here. God is looking at the nation of Israel. Let me put it in terms from the series that we might understand. He's looking at the nation of Israel and he's saying, church, you're losing the war with the world. And the reason you're losing the war with the world is because you as a people of God aren't being righteous in an unrighteous world. You're just joining in with the world in unrighteousness. So what a message for us today that, that God is calling us as a church to be righteous in our culture. 
But here's what I love about this passage in Isaiah. It shows us where our righteousness comes from. It's God's righteousness. It's, it's God's armor. It's not our armor. It's not our righteousness. Remember that story where David is going to go up against Goliath, and so Saul, the king, gives him his armor, and David puts the armor on? It didn't fit him, but, he, but that's kind of the picture is Paul is trying to get us to see that we need to take God's body armor because God is righteous. Our righteousness, our goodness comes from God. It doesn't come from us. You need to know that. Like if you look at this and you say, okay, I'm going to try to be more righteous. I'm going to just be a more righteous person now. You're missing the point a little bit. Paul is trying to help us understand where our righteousness comes from. We're actually taking the righteous body armor of God, that's what we're putting on from Isaiah 59. It's God's armor, it's not ours. It's his righteousness, it's not ours. First Corinthians says it like this, God has united you with Jesus Christ for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God, he made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. So first and foremost, we need to recognize Christians that it's God's righteousness that we put on. Now, that should mean that we're different from everybody else in the world. That should mean that we look, young people, when you go to school, you look different than all your friends. It should mean that people say there's something different about you. I'm not sure what it is, but there's something different about you. You don't, you don't act like everybody else, all the, other, all the other kids at school, or men and women, you go to work, and, and there's something different about your righteous. There's something different about how you, how you talk, how you act. There's something different about how you joke. That's the righteousness of God. See, when we, when we have a lifestyle of righteousness and we begin to walk in the righteousness that Christ won for us, the enemy, Satan, we learned last week Satan's the enemy, the enemy has fewer targets to exploit in our lives. But if you've got secret sin in your life, you've got hidden sin in your life, you better believe that the enemy's gonna use that in his battle against you. So put on the body armor of God's righteousness. That's number two. Number three, and this one's really interesting. He says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. And here's the point. The battle is pointless. Spiritual warfare is pointless if we're not ready to share the gospel. You know that every time Paul talks about sandals or shoes or feet, he always is, he's always referring it to sharing the gospel with people. Romans 10 is an example. How will anyone go and tell people about Jesus without being sent, he says. This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. This is what Paul has in mind, Romans 10, is what Paul has in mind as he's writing Ephesians 6. And what he's saying is, look, part of our armor, when we're fighting this battle, part of our armor is to put on shoes, which means we're ready to share the gospel with people. Isn't it ironic that part of the armor of God when it's talking about warfare, is related, is related to the word peace? When are you ever thinking about peace if you're putting a sword in the scabbard? Paul's point is, we as Christians aren't supposed to be just fighting against the world. We should be bringing the gospel to the world. Satan's whole goal is to disrupt Jesus' whole goal. Jesus' whole goal is to bring the gospel to the lost. So if you think spiritual warfare is just about you overcoming some addiction, 
If you think spiritual warfare is just about your political party winning, you're missing the point. Spiritual warfare isn't just about the flesh, and it's not just about the world. Spiritual warfare is actually about the gospel. It's about sharing the gospel with the world who needs it. And so Paul wants to make sure that the Christians understand this, that we should be putting on sandals and we should be going out into the world. The whole reason that we're fighting this battle is so that we could share the gospel with people, so that we could share the light with people. So I want to encourage you, as you're thinking about spiritual warfare, I want to encourage you to think about who it is that you could share the gospel with, who, you, who it is that you could share the truth of Jesus with. That's number three. Number four, shield of faith. And here's the point. Our faith linked up with others creates a wall of defense. Do you know how shields work? The Roman shields, they were, they were like Legos. They actually were built, Roman shields were built so that the regiment could come together or the battalion, I don't know what the unit would have been called, but the, the unit, that, that unit of soldiers who fought together would come together and actually their shields would interlock. So a shield of faith was rarely just like a shield, one guy with a shield, because he would have three sides that would be exposed. But no, when you were with 20 other guys, 20, old, 20 other soldiers, you would lock, you would link those shields and you would create this impregnable wall of defense. And you know, that's what, that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote that. Your faith is supposed to be linked up with the faith of others. Last night we had a worship night here and we had a, a, just a beautiful prayer time and, and we prayed for some folks that just really just really needed prayer. In fact, at the end of the service today, we're gonna, we're gonna end with an opportunity for you to pray, and I wanna invite you to come and link shields with us, and let's, let, help us, let us help you pray for those things in your world that, that you're battling against. That's why small groups are so powerful. A small group is a place for, for you to come together with others and pray for one another and study the word together and get to know one another. We need each other. I'm speaking to you. If you're the kind of person that comes to Alpine checks it off your list, and then that's all that you ever do. I think you're, missing, you're really missing out on what Paul's talking about here. Remember, we, we talked last week how Satan loves to pick off the vulnerable ones. He's, going, he's like a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. He's not looking for everyone to devour because he knows he can't devour everyone. You know, a lion, when a lion comes on a pack of wildebeests, a lion is picking out the youngest or the weakest. That's what a lion's going after. And that's what Satan's going after. He's going after the youngest or the weakest, and that's why we need each other. We need, we need to be inside that circle where there's, we all have our shields locked together and we're protecting each other. A couple times in my life, many, wait, more than a couple times, but I'll just mention a couple where where my community of faith was so important for me. One was when my, our kids were little and I had a cancer scare. The doctor said I had cancer. It turns out I didn't, but they said that I did. And for, for about a month, I had that knowledge. And I can't even explain to you how important it was. The, the governing board that was around me, the pastoral team, just that regular Alpiner. Some of you were a part of, that, of the church at the time, 16, 17 years ago. I needed my community of faith. And then just a few years ago, I, I had, out of the blue, I had panic attacks. I shared some of that with, with you a few years ago. And man, for about six, six months there, I just relied on, especially some of the men in my life, to just support me 
and lock shields with me and encourage me and, and hold me up in that time. Corey Bergner was one of them, your, our safety team leader here at the campus and one of our governing board members. And he and his wife do a lot of marriage mentoring. And man, I remember just some things that he shared with me, just irrational fear in my head. I, I was really claustrophobic and, and that's just something that my family has dealt with. And, and, and I think the enemy just really used that in this time a few years ago. And I, I remember he just shared, before I had to get on a plane ride one time, he called me up. He's like, look, I know you're about ready to get on, the, get on a plane. But I want to tell you, he gave me this cool visual. He said, he was in the military. He said, in the military, the plane was our safe place. Like when we, if we were out, if we were out on the battlefield, like we couldn't wait to get on a plane. He said, think of it like that. Think of it as your safe place. I'll, still, I'll never forget that. Just that he, that he wanted to encourage me. It didn't help. Because <laughs> I'm crazy and I have claustrophobia. But I, I was so encouraged that he wanted to share that with me. And he cared about it. He was thinking about that. Guys, we need that. We need each other. We need a community of faith. We need to link up with others so that we can be defended. And our kids need that too. Our kids need to see that we have a community of faith. Both of our kids have seen that growing up, both Kenzie and AJ, and now they are involved in communities of faith, even though they don't live here anymore. And so we need to model that for our kids. That's what the shield of faith is all about. I love what it says in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses... To the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. I love that. that it it kind of gets me fired up to think about that. Like, we're in this together. Last night, the worship night was so fun. For those of you who are here, just, it was fun just to let our hair down, for those who had hair, and just worship God together. There was something about just the community of that. In fact, I, I want to invite you to come. Next month we're doing it up in Logan. Like, write it down. Put it on your calendar, October 28th. We were going to be the 21st, but it's gonna, we moved it to the 28th. But join us for that. Let's lock shields together with this great crowd of witnesses. That's number four. Number five. He, he talks about salvation as our helmet. Now, I never... I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but a helmet typically goes on a head, right? And what's inside your head? It's your mind. There's that battlefield again in your mind. And it's interesting, as, as we studied this, what exactly does he mean that salvation is a helmet? Why did, he, why did he, when he was looking at the soldier and he looks at a helmet, I'm sure Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I'm sure Paul is sitting there saying, what could I relate this one to? And he came up with salvation. There's another passage that gives us a little bit more insight into what he was thinking. It's 1 Thessalonians, again, written by Paul. He says this, but let us live in the light. Let us be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love. You see how he's starting to talk a little bit about some of these elements? And he says, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So see how he slips in another word there. So in Ephesians, here's a good principle, by the way. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. So when we're trying to understand in Ephesians what he means by salvation as your helmet, it's helpful for us to look at what he says about it in 1 Thessalonians because he explains it a little bit more there. He calls it the helmet of confidence of our salvation. Now, does that help? For me, that's really helpful. Because here's what happens. The enemy, we learned last week that Satan 
is accusing, he's accusing, he's accusing us. Satan is going to try to get in your head, this is part of spiritual warfare, he's going to try to get in your head and plant in your head that you are not a Christian, that you are not worthy, that that sinful thought you just had or, or that sinful thing that you did when you were 12, that that disqualifies you from God's love. I, wanna, I want you to be aware that that is a trick of the enemy. He wants to get in your head and get you to doubt your salvation. And that's why Paul says you need to put on a helmet of salvation. It's the helmet of the confidence of your salvation. You need the assurance of salvation that protects against accusations because Satan is going to accuse you and sometimes, sometimes he's going to do it through even some of your friends. Revelation 12 says this, it's come at last salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, that's what it says in the NIV, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, talking about Satan, has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. You see the picture that we get in Revelation? Is Satan, Satan is standing before the throne of God, accusing us. Hey, God, did you see what John just did? Ha <laughs> ha, see? He's not a real Christian. In fact, we have a picture of this in the Old Testament, the story of Job. Somehow, somehow Satan is, is able to go before God, before the court of God, and he says, Job's only a Christian because he's wealthy and because he has a lot of kids who love you. I bet you if you take that away from him, he won't be a Christian anymore. And Satan said, bet. And God's like, all right, bet. And so God let Satan torment Job and take all that stuff away. If you've never read this, the story of Job, it's really interesting. But chapter 1 sets all that up. And then the next 35 or 6 chapters is Job trying to figure out why all of this bad stuff is happening to him. He's trying to make sense of it. And he's got three friends that are saying, you must have done something wrong. You must have done something wrong because God wouldn't do this. A good person couldn't suffer like this. You must have done something wrong. See what was happening? Satan was behind it and he was accusing, he was accusing Job. He was trying to get Job to doubt his salvation. And that's why, friends, you need to put on salvation as a helmet. If you've trusted in Jesus for, for salvation, the Bible says you are a child, you're a son or a daughter of God, you better believe it. Do not let the enemy accuse you. That's what he loves to do. And that leaves us with one final element. And here it is. The sword of the Spirit. You know, this is actually the only element that is mainly offensive. All these other elements, all the other five, are defensive, helmet and shield and breastplate. But the sword is offensive, and it's the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses God's Word in our hands to drive off the enemy, the Word of God. I love this passage, Hebrews 4, for the Word of God is alive and powerful, and it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow. And then it's interesting what it says at the end of this verse. 
It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This is what the Word of God does. So see, at first, when I look at this passage on the left, I think about the sword of the Spirit going out into the world and fighting against the world and and seeing all this false narrative that we get in the world. And there's a lot of that. And at first, that's what I think he's probably talking about. And certainly Paul is talking about that a little bit here. But it's interesting, the author of Hebrews says that the word of God is a two-edged sword that exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. What's that talking about? That's talking about the flesh. That's not talking about warring with the world. That's talking about warring with the flesh. So the word of God is important for us both for the world and for the flesh. Sometimes we open the word of God and it convicts us about what's going on right inside of us, the spiritual battle that's going on inside of us. And so we need God's word in our lives. Do you see how much of this is related to truth, the belt of truth, and now that's the first element, and the last element is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. It's all about God's truth because that's, that's how we fight the battle against the enemy. And I want to just, I want to close this whole thing with this final verse because I think this, this shows us this picture of where Paul gets all this, this imagery, this metaphor from. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, it says, The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. Talking about God. Do you see the warfare language here? And he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And I think probably as Paul's reading from Isaiah and he sees these things, he starts, he's starting to put together his own imagery about this battle. But, but what I want you to pay attention to here as we close is that the armor of God is literally God's armor. It's not godly armor. That's how I've always thought about it. I thought, I, I've always thought about Put on some godly armor, like righteousness is godly and truth is godly and salvation is godly. Put on godly armor. No, it's, it's much stronger than that. No, it's actually God's armor because it's God's fight. Spiritual warfare is God's fight first. Long before we were ever in the picture, Satan was fighting against God, working against his plans on the earth. Spiritual battle is God's battle and I think we need to keep that in mind as we fight it for the rest of our lives. This is God's battle. And as long as we put on God's armor, as long as we go to him and we say, I can't fight this on my own. I can't win this on my own. I need your strength. I need your help. The Bible promises that he'll give us that help. So let's close as we close this series. Let's close just by going to God and asking him one more time for his strength to fight these battles. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us to put on all these elements. God, that we, would, that we would be prepared to fight the battle that is already won because you won it. Satan is not your equal. He's a fallen angel and his fate is already sealed. But God, in the meantime, for as long as we're on this earth, we're going to have to engage in this battle. And so, God, I pray that you would help every man and woman, every couple here. I pray that you would help every young person in this room to make a habit of putting on the armor of God. God, that we wouldn't fight naked, but, God, that we would use your, your equipment, your armor, and that you would win the battle. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.